This morning we're going to focus on what God did for his people when they were in the middle space. How are you doing living in the middle space? The middle space is somewhere between our former lives in the time of BC before the coronavirus and our future lives in the time of AD after the disease. The middle space has its origins in this black swan event of the coronavirus that has transported us all into some kind of foreign reality where we feel like we're strangers and exiles in an unfamiliar land. It reminds me of this quote that's been going around the internet to describe the coronavirus. Uh, it's a quote from uh, the book, The Sun Also Rises by the 20th century author, Ernest Hemingway. And it's a book about a British and an American uh, how they go to uh, a foreign land, I think it's Spain, and they go on an, an adventure there. And at one point, one of the characters turns to the other character in the book and says, um, you know, I'm going to describe a life-changing, devastating event that happened in my life. And he describes it this way. It is something that, quote, happened to me gradually and then suddenly. And that is what has happened to us in the middle space. The coronavirus event has come upon us gradually in November, December, January, February, and then all of a sudden it changed everything. The middle space that we are living in is not just about the origins of where it came from, it's also about the future of where we're headed, this unfamiliar and familiar future that we're hoping to get to one day on the other side of the pandemic. The middle space, that we are living in is the gray space. Uh, we tend to look at our world in binary terms during the coronavirus. Uh, it's either or. We are either in quarantine or we are out of quarantine. We either have a vaccine or nothing's going to change. And the middle space is the gray space in between in this binary world. And we're wondering, is there a place for the middle space? Is there a purpose to us living in this gray space? The middle space is a, is a conversation that I had with someone this past week where they were uh, sharing with me how uh, they're in between relationships, how they are um, in between uh, in waiting in their life, and they're uh, reading their Bible and they're doing their devotions on one side, but they're not in community with the church on the other side. So they're kind of in this in-between spiritual place. They're happy some days and they're depressed other days. They're in between and they describe their life as if they were a zombie. They said, um, I feel like I'm just a walking zombie, one part alive, one part dead. And that is the middle space. The middle space as uh, we talk with many of you at City Bible Church, is a place of anxiety. It's a place of idleness. It's a place of a downward regression to our former lives for many of us. It's a place of waiting. And some people, we don't want to stay in the middle space any longer than we have to. We want to get out immediately. We want radical change now. Uh, I know three families during the coronavirus that are moving from California to Arizona. Uh, they'll be back. California's the best. But they want out of the middle space. Uh, there are other people that says, I just want a different life. I want a different church. I want a different faith other than the Christian faith. And there are people that are just wanting so badly to just do whatever they can to get out of this middle space. How are you doing living 
in the middle space. It's not quite where we were, but it's also not quite where we want to be. The biggest need that you have this morning from the church is not primarily to have people in the church commiserate with where you're at or to listen to you or to share with you. It's okay to not be okay during this time. Uh, your greatest need is not for uh, people to turn to you and say, I, I will give you advice on self-care, how to take care of yourself practically during this time. Uh, get more exercise. Go for more walks in nature. Watch the show on Netflix. Eat some more ice cream. Your greatest need from people in the church is not that kind of uh, a spiritual help. Your greatest need from the church is for the church to focus you on how God met his people when they were stuck in the middle space. We've been in a series called The Church as Diaspora, where we have been looking at uh, what happens to the church when she is disrupted and dispersed throughout the world. Uh, we've been looking at many passages throughout the New Testament, primarily from the book of James and First and Second Peter. Uh, in the latter half of summer, we've uh, been looking at some of the prophets and some of the Old Testament figures, primarily who uh, ministered prophetically to Israel and to Judah during their uh, captivities in Assyria and Babylon. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage from the prophet Ezekiel. And we're going to look at a passage from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22 through 38. Before we get there, I'm going to give a little background on Ezekiel. Ezekiel's name means the strength of God. He was both a priest and a prophet. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah, of Habakkuk, of Daniel. They all ministered together during the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity. And they spoke on God's behalf to Judah as they were living in the middle space of that 70-year captivity. They weren't in their former life of the promised land. They weren't, they haven't returned yet. They're in the middle. And Ezekiel's message is both warning and hope. Uh, he gives many warnings uh, to Judah on their wickedness. He warns their shepherds that are leading uh, the people. They said, you are failed shepherds. You have profaned the sanctuary. You've let Egyptian idols into the temple. Um, and God called that detestable. He called that an abomination. He said through the prophet Ezekiel that what was happening in Judah before they were deported was so bad spiritually, so bad, terrible, and evil in the eyes of God that it was worse than the practices of the pagan nations around them. And so Ezekiel warned Judah. He also warned the half dozen or so nations that uh, surrounded Judah, Egypt, Tyre, and Sidon, etc., because when Judah was falling, when it was being burned down to the ground, these nations laughed at Jerusalem, and they wanted to pillage uh, what was left as the Babylonians destroyed their city. And so Ezekiel warns both Judah, he warns the pagan nations, and he uses metaphors to describe his warning. Uh, he talks about warning Judah through uh, God told him to shave his head, his beard, take the hairs and throw one third of the hairs of his head and his beard into the fire. One third of them uh, chop it up with the sword. One third of them throw it up in the wind to be scattered. And that symbolized to Judah that God was going to judge them. He's going to burn Jerusalem down to the ground, that they would suffer uh, famine so bad that at one point the fathers would start eating their own children 
to survive, and children would start eating their own fathers to survive out of cannibalism, simply to survive because the hunger would be so bad, and they would eventually be scattered. Uh, he uses the metaphor to talk about the judgment of Judah. Of he, he, uh, God tells Ezekiel to take a brick, write the name of Jerusalem on the brick, then take an iron pan and put it in front of the brick be, uh, between uh, the prophet Ezekiel and the brick, symbolizing that God was going to stand against Jerusalem. He would be separate, um, distant from them in this judgment. And thirdly, there's another major metaphor, very striking. Uh, God tells Ezekiel to lay on the ground on his left side for about a year to symbolize all of the wickedness and, and judgment of God upon Israel. And then God says, you've got to lay on your right side on the ground after that year for another oh, two months or so to symbolize the wickedness and judgment of God upon the southern kingdom of Judah. And it was during that time that uh, Ezekiel had rations of water and rations of, of bread that he could eat, also symbolizing the scarcity that would come upon God's people. In fact, in order to cook that, God said, I will allow you to take the dung, the poop of uh, the excrement of cows and use that as fuel, fire, to cook your bread. And that's how uh, desperate and despicable a situation uh, Ezekiel was in. And so judgment did come to Judah from 605 BC to about 586 BC through a series of three major invasions. The, God raised up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians to come in and destroy Jerusalem, take many of them captive back to Babylon. Um, Ezekiel's wife died in that process. God said she's gonna die, like she died like the next day. Um, and the foreign nations that Ezekiel had warned eventually fell by the sword, famine, pestilence. And so Ezekiel's ministry is largely about warning but it is also about offering hope to God's people. Um, he offers hope in the future that God's people will return back to the promised land and they will have a Messiah. He uses a metaphor. God uh, shows him this metaphor of um, this vision of a valley of dead, dry bones, skeletons. And uh, before Ezekiel, uh, God shows he reanimates the skeletons, brings them back to life into uh, human beings that walk, walk around and talk. And God said that that is what it's going to be like. I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to reanimate from dead, dry bones Judah when I bring them back to the promised land. He uses another metaphor way out in the future that one day Israel and Judah will be brought together as two sticks are brought together by a Messiah in the future um, kingdom. And so uh, Ezekiel ministers to Judah in the middle space. And he is ministering um, in between spaces of them being invaded and being conquered by the Babylonians and deported on one hand. And on the other hand, there is a future return that they will have to the promised land and ultimately a future, uh, far future return uh, back to the Lord through a Messiah in the way distant future. And this message is really just about one point in our passage. And it is this. That God's commitment to himself and to you is greater than your failures before him. God is far more committed to himself than you are committed to God. God is far more committed to you than you are committed to yourself. 
And so we're going to look at this passage in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22 through 38. As Ezekiel, uh, God speaks through the prophet to offer words of hope and promise and life as Judah was in the middle space in captivity. Chapter 36, verse 22 through 38. God says through Ezekiel, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all the idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all of your uncleanness and I will summon uh, the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that you were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like a garden of Eden and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Verse 37. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase your people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I love this passage because God is giving hope and words of life and words of promise and faithfulness to his people when they were in the middle space. All the uncertainty, all the unfamiliarity, all of not knowing uh, what was going to happen in the future and how did they get here from the past. Um, that happened maybe gradually over hundreds of years of warnings from different prophets. And then suddenly they found themselves in Babylon. And in this passage, we discover that God's commitment to himself and to you is greater than our failures before him. God is committed 
to himself. And this is really where we need to start to have a proper perspective, a life-giving perspective during the coronavirus event in the middle space. Understanding the God we worship, the God that we know is not distant. He's not aloof. He's not powerless during this time. In fact, God said to Judah during their darkest hours where they're separated from the promised land, many of them had perished. They were humbled. They were uh, powerless. They were, they, were, uh, uh, they were colonists in Babylon. And he said in this dark hour in the middle space, I will not leave you. I'm committed to you, but primarily I'm committed to myself. Um, he says in verse 23, again, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. I, God, your God, will vindicate the holiness of my great name through what I do and what I do through you and where I take you. This is about my vindication as God and my holy name. This uh, phrase, vindicate holiness, in the Hebrew, uh, translated as God was saying, I will take the sacredness of my name, the honor of my name. I will show people that I, as God, am set apart from you and set apart from the nations. I'm high above that. My name is great and that my name will be vindicated in what I will do with you as a people. Judah had hope from this because God committed himself to them. And he was reminding them of that. God said, I'm going to fulfill my promises that I made to your forefathers. I am going to do things in a way that will bring glory to my name in your eyes and glory to my name in the eyes of the pagan nations that are around you. And I think this is really where we need to start with an understanding of where God wants us in the middle space, is understanding that we as God's people, his church, followers of his son Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, that God works on our behalf primarily because of his name. And that is important to start with. It's not primarily for our name. It's not primarily for our vindication. Um, you know, during the coronavirus, um, there has been uh, talk every day about how there is two things that are holding up our lives right now, that are giving us hope, that are kind of putting a floor uh, that things don't collapse on us. One that there are over a hundred companies and governments throughout the world searching for a vaccine at warp speed. And there's talk right now that something, some kind of vaccine or a therapy or some kind of um, antibody, hopefully will come out uh, maybe by the end of this year, production next year, that's probably a best case scenario. And there's a lot of hope that people are putting onto that, that life will not go back to how it was or go forward until we get some kind of cure or vaccine or some kind of help from one of these companies and governments. And that is giving people a lot of hope that um, that will happen. We'll see what happens. But the second thing is that the, the, uh, the U.S. government, as well as governments around the world, and the, here in the United States, the Federal Reserve, have uh, put a floor on how far things will fall. They've injected trillions of dollars uh, into the economy of the United States and really around the world. Uh, so that the economy does not collapse and move every, the entire world into a great or greater depression and super hyperinflation. And I think those two things have caused us to look at this situation and say, you know, um, this, this is protecting us from being absolutely destroyed and wiped out. In the same way, 
God is saying to Judah during her time that I am going to protect my great name, my promises, my glory by not allowing you guys to be wiped out. I'm going to give you a promise and a future and a hope, not primarily for you, but for me, because I'm in far more as God. He's saying I'm far more reliable um, and powerful than you are. And that to me gives me great hope and great peace because I would not want God to say, um, I will vindicate you, Chris, and your church and the church based upon your own holiness, based upon your own worth, based upon your own faithfulness. And based upon that, I'm going to vindicate you. Uh, you know what? Because I know my own heart. And um, I wouldn't want God to base the promise of vindication based upon me. You know, God is far more committed to you than I'm committed to you. God is far more committed to you than uh, your parents or your spouse or your children or even yourself are committed to yourself. And to know that our God that we worship has our back. That he's not going to ultimately allow us to be destroyed in this moment as we stay in the middle space. That we have a future, we have a hope, either in this world, in the world to come. We will prevail. We will be victorious. And I, I, I take great hope in that when he says in verse 23, I will do this for the sake of not you, Chris, not even my church, um, but for the sake of my as God, my great name. I place my trust in God, and, and the message that God wants for you to start off with this morning is you should too. Our prayers during this time should be, God, will your name be vindicated through this time? Will your name, your holy great name, be lifted up through my life, through the life of the church, for your glory, Lord, and uh, I would rather place my trust in that than any other reason of why we should be held and vindicated. God has promised you that he will be faithful, church. He has um, declared that his people will return back to the promised land. He said that to Judah and ultimately for the church one day in eternity. Um, and he, whatever happens to us in this middle space, he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And he wants you to hold on to the future and the hope and the goodness that he is saying that he has for you. And he will do it because of his great name. God is committed to himself, but he's also committed to you as well. Uh, verse 25 in our passage, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, Judah, so that you will not be uh, your uncleanliness in your idolatry will be cleansed. Verse 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit so that you may walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Verse 28 through 37, God says to Judah, you are going to dwell in the land of your forefathers. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will be abundant in grain and fruit. Your cities that were once uninhabited and wasted and ruined places, I will rebuild and, and I will fortify them. Your fields will be tilled. And he goes on to say that uh, people will look at the, the uh, repatriated promised land and all the blessings that God has given and say, this is like a garden of Eden, he says in our passage. And he also goes on to say that your flock will increase. See, for Judah... 
uh, them being cleansed, them being given a new heart and a new spirit, them returning back to the promised land was all about them being released from Babylon and later on Persia and uh, them coming back to the land that God had given to them and experiencing the blessings to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, to uh, start their families, to be fruitful and multiply and to honor the Lord. And he was giving them a new start, cleansing them of the uncleanliness of the past before they were invaded and conquered and deported, cleansing them of the pagan uh, culture and idolatry that they would have experienced in Babylon um, and bringing them back to give them a, a new start, a new heart, a new spirit, um, and to dwell in the land of their forefathers. And uh, they didn't quite ever get the new spirit and new heart in the way that God um, had talked about, not yet at least for Israel. Um, but for us here today, what does this mean? Uh, just as God spoke to Judah in the middle space and he gave them uh, this commitment to themselves and said, I'm committed to you. I'm going to sprinkle you clean with water, give you a new heart, new spirit. I'm going to bring you back to land. God has done that in our lives through Christ. And we need to remember that Christ is here in your life now, church. And he is saying, I will sprinkle you. I will cleanse you of your past unrighteousness, your past uncleanness. How many of you need that this morning to come to the Lord and say, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. Um, use your Holy Spirit that lives within me to sanctify me. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, come to Jesus and he will give you a new heart, a new spirit. It's what is called regeneration. It's called salvation, where your heart of stone, your hardened heart, God will soften it and he will bring life into it. He will bring his life to live inside of your life through the Holy Spirit, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will come to you through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to live in you, to change your heart, and to, you will now live and walk through the Spirit of God and we as Christians are sanctified as we come to him, a new spirit, a new heart. And I wonder how many of us church here today need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, um, this middle space has revealed to me my need for you, my need for your sanctification, my need for your holiness, my need for your goodness. And uh, change me, Lord, change the way I speak to others. Change the way of my, of my wandering heart that's prone to idolatry. Change the way of my thought life. Change the way what I care about, what I'm willing to bow down and idolize versus you. Uh, what I trust in, Lord. Change that, Lord. Give me the right spirit. And thirdly, for us as the church, I think what this passage means, when he says, for Judah, you're going to go back to the promised land in the future. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bless you. Um, know that the Lord's commitment to you is that he will deliver you. He will deliver you through this middle space. I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, and ultimately, he will deliver you in eternity when we're together with him in heaven and glorified uh, together with the Lord in heaven. But the Lord will be faithful to you and he will bring you to the place. He will complete the good work 
that he has begun in you that maybe has gone a little bit astray, a little bit dormant during the coronavirus middle space, um, he will bring you to the promised land and um, to the right place at the right time of where he wants you to be. And place your trust and say, Lord, um, cleanse me. Give me a new heart. Lord, uh, bring me to the promised land. Bring me to the place that you want me to be. And this middle space has forced me to pause my life just enough to remind myself that where I'm going, I can't get to without you. And so maybe that's a good thing, church, that's come out of being stuck in the middle space. We've all been forced to think about our relationship with God and how our need for the Lord. And finally, um, God is far more committed to himself and to you, and that is greater than our failures before him. Judah had failed for centuries before they were attacked, conquered, and deported to Babylon. Uh, they had failed in their leadership, failed in their treatment of the poor, failed in their idolatry, failed in their profaning of the Sabbath, um, failed in their disobedience and their relationships with one another. And, uh, and the Lord was still faithful to them. He was still faithful to his people. He said, I will bring you back. I will do this for my great name. I will do this, and here's what I will do for you. And this is the future that you will have. And I think as we receive communion in a few moments, we do this now every week during um, diaspora, because we, every week we want a specific focus on the work of Christ on the cross. And during communion, when uh, we are led to in just a few moments, I want you to think about um, your past failures before God. Uh, our past rebellion of God, our past promises. God, I won't do this if you do this, and then you do this, and I keep going back to what I said I wouldn't do. Um, I want you to think about how patient and loving kind, uh, uh, God's loving kindness towards you during um, our time of idleness and our time of um, um, ingratitude towards the Lord at times. And this is what communion is. It's, it's a moment where we pause and we say, Lord, we remember your faithfulness to us. We remember our need to be cleansed by you. Um, this is what he goes on to say in the passage. God says through the prophet Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel in verse 31 and 32, he says, the reason why I'm going to do this is because I'm gonna, uh, I want you to remember your wicked ways, Judah. And God wanted Judah to remember that they need the Lord. And he wanted them to remember who they are without the Lord. And it's the same message for us here today. God wants you, church, to remember who he is in the middle space. And he wants you to remember who you are without him in the middle space. And in verse 36, God says, I will do this. I will deliver you. I will give you a future. I will be faithful to you. Verse 36, because he wants an unbelieving world to know who he is. Uh, God will be faithful to his church, not just because he loves us and not primarily because of his great name, but he wants to do this. He wants to deliver the church from this moment of trial and testing um, and we don't know what deliverance will look like. It might be 
Um, the church comes and shines and prevails and um, moves forward in a powerful way, advances the kingdom of God during the coronavirus event as well as after. Um, but you know what? Uh, the commitment that God makes, by the way, when he says you, it's more like the plural, not the singular. God is saying you as a people. He's not making this promise to any one single individual because not all of them made it back to the promised land. They either died in Babylon or some of them chose to stay in Babylon. We know that from uh, uh, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so, but he makes his promise to us as a people. And he says, you're going to return. And as you do that, that testament to the nations around you, uh, will, they will know that I'm the Lord God. We have seen in our church during the coronavirus, people led to faith in Jesus Christ. We have seen people in our church who have witnessed to other people in Jesus Christ. Uh, we have seen uh, people commit to being baptized uh, in Jesus Christ. And so that unbelievers may know that he is the Lord as he blesses and he is faithful to his people. In closing, if you are listening to this and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're just listening to this and saying, I'm in the middle space, I'm open to maybe who this God is in the Bible and who this God is worshiped in the church, um, you should know this, is that God says through the prophet Ezekiel in a separate chapter, in chapter 18 of the book of Ezekiel, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I wish that I would want that them for them to turn and to live. That's who God is. He takes no pleasure in people going to hell. He takes no pleasure in people perishing. He takes no pleasure of pouring his wrath upon people. What God wants is for you to turn so that you could live. Turn from yourself. Turn from your old former ways and turn towards Jesus. And Jesus says, if you follow me, if you believe in me, you will live. This is what the Bible says. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and are willing to follow him, to confess his name as Lord, Romans chapter 10, then you will be saved. And so if you're not a follower, um, know that uh, God is committed to himself and he's committed to his people. And the failures of his people um, are less than his commitment to himself and to his people. But if you are not a follower of his, if you are not uh, part of his people, then your past failures are greater than um, God's commitment to you. And your past failures are greater than um, than even your own commitment to yourself. And you can change that. You can change that by coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I give you my life. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to be forgiven for all of my past failures. I want a future. I want a hope. I want life. I want to know that this middle space that I am in, I fear that at some point, either now or in eternity, the middle space that I am in in this life, not quite believing the lie, not quite believing the truth, 
can rapidly descend from going from gradually to suddenly into a dark, bad place in eternity. And uh, I, I don't want that for my life, Lord. I want, I want to be with you. I want to be with your people. And so if that's you, I urge you to give your life to Jesus Christ. And you will experience forgiveness, life, his love, his goodness, his mercy, and his assurance of your place with him both now and forever. And so as we are in this middle space, let's be faithful. Let's focus on who God is, the promise that he has made to him and his people, and to know that whatever your past failings are, church, um, come to the Lord now and uh, he will renew hope and goodness in you to persevere. And we, we are going to make it as a church. And God is going to be faithful to his people, both back then and now in the middle space.